Welcome to Insight. I'm Philippa Tolley. Today, how well are we preparing for the brave new automated world? The warnings about a looming and rapid change in our working lives due to automation and artificial intelligence are gaining pace. There have been commissions and working groups, but are employers and employees alike really thinking about what lies ahead? Artificial intelligence, in one form or another, is starting to pop up everywhere. While in Japan last year, I visited an aged care home where they specialised in the use of a whole range of robots. Pepper, a child-sized humanoid robot, leads the residents in a music and exercise session. And at night, artificial intelligence helps with monitoring to make sure everyone is safe. Mounted high up on a wall like a very slimline heat pump, the Alsight system for dementia or aged care patients uses infrared cameras to monitor movement, from getting out of bed right down to small details such as shivering or rapid breathing. And next to the uh, sensor, we have our camera that captures a large motion. For example, sitting or standing or falling down. Such kind of large the system uses artificial intelligence to judge whether the patient is in danger or not and sends an alert to whoever is on charge. The idea is to reduce the number of staff on duty and to make sure they're alerted quickly to those most in need of help. And this is just one example of where the number of people needed to perform a task is already on the decline. Four years ago, two academics at Oxford University in the UK investigated how susceptible various jobs were to robotics and computerisation. Out of more than 700 occupations they looked at, they found that more than 47% of the jobs were at high risk of being automated over the next decade or two and ranked those jobs according to those most likely to be taken over. Photographic process workers, tax preparers, cargo and freight agents... Watch repairers, insurance underwriters. In banking, so-called digital humans are being trialled to help out with frequently asked questions. In the UK, the NatWest Bank is testing an artificial intelligence-powered digital human called Cora that will converse with customers and branches with the aim of cutting down on waiting times. The bank hopes Cora's artificial intelligence will eventually expand to answering hundreds of different questions, but at the same time insists the avatar is there to complement, not replace humans. Hey, I'm Cora. I am here to help you. Currently, I can help with the topics on the right. I've lost my cards. Do not worry. Losing a card can happen to anyone. It's easy to replace. Cora is a British version of a digital human created by the Auckland-based company Soul Machine. Hi, Greg. Great to see you today. Hi, Rachel. Great to see you too. She's based on a New Zealander, Rachel, a real person, who works as a developer for Soul Machine, which grew out of research at Auckland University and was established as a company in 2016. The down the centre of the building. We then move into this middle part where you'll see a lot of the artists um, you know, working on new digital humans and... What's unique for the Chief Business Officer, Greg Cross, is the way they use not only digital developers, but neuroscientists and psychologists to make the avatars as human as possible in not only their appearance, but their responses. For Greg Cross, the sky's almost the limit as to where this technology might lead. 
you know, we see a world in the future where we could actually create digital versions of ourselves. You, know, you could have a digital version, a digital Philippa. That's scary. I don't think I could go with that. Yeah, but I mean, um, but think of you know how more productive your world could be if digital Philippa could go out and collect information for you, collect data points for you. So, I mean, these are some of the you know you know some of the things that we could see happening you know in, in the future. So you know we're building tools that will you know it takes. I mean, a lot of work to build a, you know, and design and build a digital human, but you know, the technology, some of the technology we're building will make it very simple to recreate literally any face in the world. His hope is that this type of artificial intelligence will augment the work done by people. And there are um, kids in New Zealand that don't have access to science teachers. Um, there are children all over the world that don't have any access to any education whatsoever or health care or health service providers so you know maybe this technology you know AI and in combination with our digital humans can provide a level of service and a level of knowledge that a lot of people previously just haven't had had access to because nobody wants to provide those services or can afford to provide those services. Work is going on at the Ministry of Business, Innovation and Employment to try to make sure New Zealand and New Zealanders will cope and even prosper as technology-driven change accelerates. Ruth Isaac is the General Manager of Labour Market Policy and says her team has been thinking about what sort of jobs there might be in the future, how many people might be in employment and what businesses and policymakers need to start thinking about. Augmented workforces where you have people and artificial intelligence and robots and, uh, you know, multiple employers instead of just working a 40-hour week. Those are the types of things we've focused on. And um, we think that skills and our skills system and how well that works to train people in the first place for the types of jobs of the future and uh, to retrain people when they change jobs, that's going to be an incredibly important part of um, making sure that our system works in the future. She says while change is happening, the speed to transformation is still unclear. And at this point, New Zealand is not following overseas trends. A number of different scenarios are still possible around the scale and pace of change in New Zealand. One thing we know is that if we look Um, looking backwards, New Zealand has had, for example, fairly stable um, numbers and proportions of our workforce doing uh, who are self-employed as opposed to employed. Other countries have started to see that shift um, over the last decade or so. We're not yet seeing that in our our statistics. Also, other countries are seeing people have more, more people in their economy have multiple employers, so work for different employers at the same time. That has not happened yet in New Zealand in our overall data. But whatever the speed, there are definite questions about what the impact will be on society as a whole. Ruth Isaacs also believes there's work to be done on all the rules and regulations that are attached to the current standard type of employment. We're already seeing in New Zealand that there are some blurring of the boundaries for people between when they're an employee and when they're a contractor, when they're casual, when they're permanent. And at the moment, our employment regulatory framework is a bit of an all-in, all-out kind of arrangement. If you're an employee, you have a lot of protection and minimum standards that apply to you. If you're not, you don't. As we're seeing more and more people... Um, be in non-traditional working um, environments. We need to think about how do we make that law work for workers 
whether they are contractors or employees and whether they have five employers and whether they um, own their own business on the side. So those are the types of things that are already causing strain in our system. You hear often people talk about the precariat, um, so the vulnerable workers who are already not well catered for in our employment relations environment. If we expect that that group of people potentially will get bigger, we need to make sure that our framework actually caters to them as well as for traditional workers. But the pace of change is already evident at the ports of Auckland. This is where the trucks will bring the containers in and the straddle carriers, the big yellow things, will come and pick them up with the truck and position them in the best position for when they go onto the ship. So we have a Diane Edwards is the general manager of People, Systems and Technology at the port, and as we tour around the frantically busy docks, she describes their plans for the future. We're going to have a mixture of automated and manned straddles on the terminal. Essentially, the automated straddles are going to be doing all the work from taking the container from a truck, bringing it onto the yard, getting it ready for export. When the project goes live from the middle of next year, the ports of Auckland will be operating 27 automated container movers and 21 manual machines. The automated machines will be guided by a ground-based GPS system that's less vulnerable to being hacked. This move to automation of some of the straddle movers means 50 positions will be lost. The port says some of those stevedores will be retrained in other jobs, be it servicing the robot container movers or working in IT systems. But Diane Edwards says they've been thinking about how to help those whose jobs have been displaced by technology, and in some cases they're helping to train employees for jobs outside of the docks. So, for example, we have a programme um, that has just started to retrain some of our older workers in, um, to become truck drivers because there is a shortage in that industry at the moment. And for many of our people, particularly people who've been driving straddles, that is a, a suitable and easy transition from a work point of view. We're not really encouraging the younger staff to do that because we think trucks themselves may go the way of AVs in the future. We don't see that happening maybe in the next five to ten years because there's a whole lot of regulation that's needed in this country before that happens. The Maritime Union says retraining plans as a result of automation have been talked about but they say nothing formal has been agreed to. However, among the new jobs being created at the port is a cyber security unit, with much of the port's operations being handled digitally, be it on the financial side or the tracking of containers and their contents, it's important that all data is secure. We're aware that ports around the world have had challenges. Um, we know that there are ports overseas that have been subject to ransomware. We know there's ports that have had containers disappear from the system. Um, through criminal networks, um, not wanting people to know what's in their containers. All of those things are there, so having good cyber security, we're not naive enough to think that we will ever be perfect in that. It's a matter of managing that risk. Looking even further forward, Diane Edwards says they've considered a future where the port is used as a base for importing raw materials and the goods are actually created on the docks using 3D printers. 
You're with Insight, I'm Philippa Tolley, and you're listening to a programme on technological change and employment. While the future is daunting for those in work now, what about training young people? An OECD report published in the last couple of months on how we prepare students for the complexity of a global society starts by describing the world we live in today as volatile, uncertain, complex and ambiguous. Labourers and other jobs in the construction industry are flagged as some of those most likely to disappear. Textile winding, twisting and drawing out machine setters, operators and tenders. So what might happen to those whose employment essentially relies on physical effort? Warwick Quinn, the chief executive of the training body for the construction industry, is confident it will be a change, not an annihilation of jobs. With technology and robotics, we're likely to see many of those jobs replaced with exoskeletons and those sorts of things. It'll change the nature of those jobs. Now, the functions still need to be done, of course, and whether it's done by a human or done by someone else, I think the jury's out on when it will be. It'll be a matter of speed as opposed to it not happening. Uh, but what it does do is it introduces other skill sets that are needed. So the, work, the workers get redeployed into other roles. So we're likely to see more logistics managers, uh, more project managers, with more off-site construction and manufacturing on the, you know, in, the, uh, in the factories, that's going to require better management and oversight and control on site. Already robots are working alongside masons in the bricklaying industry in the United States. Scott Peters explains how the semi-automated mason, or SAM, has been developed. It's really designed to help your commercial masonry contractors increase their productivity and, and help reduce some of the heavy lifting from the mason. That can help even some of the older masons work alongside Sam and not have to lift and place every brick. Warwick Quinn sets out how building companies have already changed the way they operate. Effectively, the work is now subcontracted out to smaller firms who do specialised components. The days of a significant large construction firm having all the employees themselves uh, are basically over, and it's a contracting and a subcontracting model that we now have. And in order to get efficiencies and get access to good workmanship that's you know, learned over a repetitive style and fast and efficient, that specialisation has become a core business model uh, for the construction business. And at the moment, those construction companies are struggling to find workers to keep up with the building boom throughout the country. So how do you successfully train workers for a changing future and present demands all at the same time? Most trades have that traditional apprenticeship approach. Uh, but New Zealand construction's changed over the last 25 years, 30 years, and we need to ensure that the, the qualifications and the skill sets that we can recognise um, mimic and align with our businesses and our structure. And our current regime doesn't do that to the extent that it needs to. It's still based on the, you know, the full four-year apprenticeship model, which is still in high demand, but with you know, significant amounts of specialisation and skill sets and firms established to do just componentry uh, parts of those jobs now, we're unable to provide those skill sets without a change to the system, which we're currently trialling with the consent of NZQA and TEC. Effectively at the moment, um, the, the employer is the key trainer and we facilitate the training by providing all the learning. Um, when it comes to uh, smaller bites, uh, specialised uses, smaller training courses, uh, it's able to be potentially delivered more remotely with less oversight and regular treatment from us or input from us, but still that one-to-one -one relationship's important. 
The now Finance Minister Grant Robertson was at the forefront of the Future of Work Commission that Labour set up in 2014 in response to the changes in employment that are coming closer to reality with every passing day. It reported back in 2016 and education and training was top of the recommendations list to help people adapt to the changing work landscape and become resilient to the ever-evolving nature of work. From this year, all New Zealand students who finish school in 2017 qualify for a year of free tertiary education or industry training. Adults who haven't previously had full-time training also qualify for free fees. But even after all of this work, Grant Robertson thinks both businesses and workers are yet to fully get their heads around the change that is already unravelling. I don't think New Zealand's up to where we need to be, and that's not just business, that's government, that's working people themselves being aware of where we need to get to. Uh, the other areas where I think we need to step up our game is how uh, businesses are adapting to and adopting technology. And one of the proposals in our Future of Work report that the government is implementing is the appointment of a chief technology officer. And that person's job is actually to help lead the industry down this path. The appointment of that chief technical officer was expected earlier this year, but has now been delayed. But it's more than just making the most of change. Grant Robertson sees it as essential to have some values and principles underpinning the new work so that technical change doesn't exacerbate inequality. He focuses on the so-called labour market policies needed to keep people in work and support them while they're unemployed. But he also believes there's a need for change across a range of areas. So you look at, at the way in which the tax system rewards work uh, at the moment it focuses on people working 40-hour weeks with one employer. <laughs> That's not going to be the future, and the tax working group is being asked specifically to look at this issue uh, around the future of work and around what tax system would support that. We've also got another review underway around um, the welfare system and how that works, and I think that will be critical to this. And we obviously, when we were doing the Future of Work Commission, looked at ideas like a universal basic income, we're not going there at the moment because that's quite unproven, but we're interested in the trials that are taking place overseas to see if in the future that's something that might be necessary. But even with this change, Grant Robinson recognises there are potentially real dangers for the well-being of parts of society. There are a group of people who, if they don't have adaptable and resilient skill bases, are going to be left behind. We can't afford that. We're aware of it. It's critical to the program, and I think that's the only way we can start addressing it is by understanding that it's a reality. I think Barack Obama is one of the people who was quoted in that report as saying, you know, there is, there is huge opportunity here, but there is massive risk. I want us to grasp the opportunity and manage that risk. Radio operators. Drivers. Sales workers. There are reports from universities of an increasing number of parents accompanying students for their first visits to help make decisions that will future-proof their training. But it's not just young people who are sometimes struggling with the options ahead. A senior lecturer at Massey University, David Brum, has collected data along with his colleague, Professor Jared Ha, since 2015 about attitudes towards the future of work. It seems New Zealanders remain sceptical about the pace of change. We've found that people at the end of their careers tend to not be as worried about automation because most of the predictions around automation tend to be in the, uh, the coming decade or the decade after. 
Uh, we've also found that people who are younger tend to be more aware of these changes that could happen, and they, I guess, planning their careers accordingly around this. Um, interestingly enough, the groups that are not concerned um, tend to be ones or people in professions that can easily be automated. So we've got people or examples of people who are driving for a job or working next to self-checkouts who cannot see a possible uh, piece of technology that could compete with them in the labour force. Any idea um, why? I'm not sure. We, we think that people tend to think of their future careers as not the job they're currently doing. So if they're working on a checkout or driving, they might be thinking, well, I'll be somewhere else in the next 10 or 20 years. I won't be doing this job. But on the flip side, we find people that are in the really low-risk professions tend to be very worried about automation. They can give us lots of clear examples where parts of their job could be automated. David Brown's research indicates those worries could be affecting people's well-being. I guess the research is finding that people, um, I guess, tend to be a little bit more worried and, and depressed um, by using the sort of measures we use within our research, which is, you know, uh, quite unfortunate that the knowledge that you have about the future or your thoughts about the future might make you feel that way. Even at intermediate school, children are aware of the change that could affect the jobs they're drawn to at the moment. That includes this group of 11 and 12-year-olds from Whanganui Intermediate. Piper Kenny is keen to be a baker as she loves making things and sharing them with others. But she can see the possibility of changes that might affect the way the job is done. There might be more like digital equipment for baking or things or people might start getting like new baking equipment at their own homes that they just put the things in and it makes the bread or whatever. Stella is opting for more than one career by selecting graphic design and the ambitious aim of being a cruise ship owner. Already she fears her dream of taking people to places they've never seen before may well not come off. And it's not because of the costs of owning a cruise ship. I want to run a cruise ship, but in 10 years, 15 years' time, they'll have um, virtual reality, so like they won't actually need to actually go on it. They'll be able to have the full experience with their goggles. It's really sad. Although he's loved being a student leader and now wants to be a primary school teacher, Philip Dale says technological advances mean it's difficult to make choices. It makes it a lot harder because I don't know by the time if I'm ready to be a teacher if they'll still have teachers or whether we'll just be fully on the computer. But others are more confident about the possibilities of their chosen work, such as Victoria Arrowsmith, who wants to train as a psychologist. I think for psychology, I think you actually need real people for that. But the pace of change marches on, especially in China. This report is from Canadian Breakfast Television. This is a look at a, the Tao Cafe, which is owned by Alibaba, a big online Chinese retailer, almost like Amazon, like Amazon here in North yeah. America. And the idea is you go into the store, you scan your phone using a QR code, and using augmented reality, it scans your face, it knows your face, it knows the items you're picking up. And then when, when you're checking out, you simply walk through these cashless checkout lanes, and it scans all of the items that you have, it knows your face, and then you look at your phone, and it charges you for all of that right yeah. on your device. In Wellington, the cafes are still well stocked with people serving and that's where I met Ben Reid, the executive director of the AI Forum, launched just last year. 
the AI Forum brings together businesses, universities and tech leaders to explore the possibilities and impacts of artificial intelligence. It's just finished a research project that included surveys, interviews and analysis of information from those who might have involvement with AI. To find out how well New Zealand is placed to take advantage of what's likely to come in the future and how that might affect jobs and society. The full report will be available in just over a month, but Ben Reid shared some of the main findings with Insight. There's very uneven understanding um, throughout New Zealand of what AI actually is. You know, what are the technologies and also what are the um, implications downstream. Certainly AI is often overrepresented as the robots are coming in popular media. Celebrities like Elon Musk um, have really driven the discussion towards questions of artificial general intelligence or super intelligence, which, you know, we're not seeing that as um, being right here, right in front of us at the moment. While the change will be significant, the AI Forum says overall there won't be a huge reduction in the number of jobs available, although the jobs themselves will be different, as will each individual's experience of the new work environment. So in terms of the total number of um, jobs, we're not expecting a sudden change in the general trend. So every year there are jobs, um, new jobs created and, and other jobs eliminated. We see that pattern continuing and AI is not going to have um, a significant major effect according to what we're seeing, you know, one way or the other. I think what we are identifying is that for the individuals whose um, roles are displaced, that these people need um, significant support you know, to basically be able to retrain, to be able to re-engage and to you know, re-enter the workforce. There are fears that this rapid technological change could start pulling apart the fabric of society and leave a great swathe of people behind. But others say change might not be so rapid, as regulations and ways of operating will need to be developed. And in the last week, Uber has stopped testing self-driving cars after the death of a pedestrian in Arizona. David Brougham from Massey University is himself cautious about the predicted speed of change. This change could be very gradual and there could be a lot more jobs created and a lot more, I guess, different types of work created as a result. Um, So... I guess the the future is unknown in the sense that we don't know if it's going to be a sort of snap change or if it's just going to be a gradual change that people can adapt to. But with predictions that the likes of Amazon might well take over worldwide logistics planning, what about the dangers that New Zealand will move closer and closer to everyone being employed by overseas megacorporations? Grant Robertson is resolutely optimistic that New Zealand can be marching at the front rather than bringing up the rear. One of the really exciting parts of being a New Zealander is how innovative we are. I don't like using the number eight wire thing because I think it's a bit cliched, but we do have a strong track record in innovation and we have the ability as a small country to be able to focus ourselves in those areas. So I want us to be to be actually leading the change rather than being the passive recipient of it because what you raise about all becoming employees of Amazon or whatever could be possible if you just sat back and said, let's just let the market dictate what happens in the future of work. I'm not prepared to let us do that. And even that study out of Oxford University found jobs that were unlikely to be done by anything other than a human in the near future. Emergency management directors, mental health and substance abuse social workers, audiologists. I'm Philippa Tolley and that's Insight. 
Next week, Shannon Honu-Thompson explores whether a day to mark the New Zealand wars will ever truly become a national event. If you'd like to load up some great listening, you can head to our page at rnz.co.nz forward slash insight, iTunes, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. And join us again next time. Listener.